0: Well, I don't know about you, but I am a lover of the sea. I really, really love the sea. We just got back from Cornwall where we went on holiday and hours spent looking out at the sea. But that's the key. I really like looking at the sea. I do not like to go on the sea. Is there anyone else here who likes to see the sea from the shore? Yes. Thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. This fact that I love the sea from the shore has only been magnified by the fact that I married into a sailing family. So every time that we go over to Pippa's family's house, they put on a great meal, and we sit around, and we eat delicious food, and we tell stories, and everyone chats. Eventually, someone will say something about sailing, and Pippa will kind of stop the conversation—that's my wife— And she'll look around and put her hands on my shoulder and say John's a bit afraid of the sea He doesn't like to go out there And everyone in the family kind of stops for a second And looks down their nose at me With kind of a mixture of pity and shame How does he not like the sea? We all love the sea And I sit there and I just take it And then the family proceeds to march out one after another of the most horrific tales of the sea. Oh, do you remember the time we miscalculated the tide table in Ireland? We almost hit the rocks that day. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you remember the time Tim, you, you know, my brother-in-law, went out in a small sailing ship, a small sailing boat, and was gone out into the shipping lanes and had to have a motorized boat come and save him? Oh, that's great. None of these stories make me want to go out on the sea. They are the most unconvincing stories of all time. But here's the thing. I actually really like those stories. Because a good sea story, an epic sea tale, has to have a bit of drama in it, does it? Nobody's going to tell stories about the time they were on a lake in a boat and it was just perfect weather. Nobody tells those stories. They tell the stories that have a bit of a drama. And Luke here has got the most epic sea tale He has gathered the tale that beats all tales It's got the wind, it's got the waves, it's got everything about it that you would want in a story But then it's got Jesus and what he does and what it tells us about Jesus And that makes it even more epic So today we want to explore and look at this story and see what it teaches us So we're going to do it by doing four different things The first thing is we want to look at the real need of the disciples. When they're in that boat, what was their need? The second thing we want to do is we want to look at and discover the real authority of Jesus. What does this story teach us about Jesus' authority? Thirdly, we want to look at the identity of Jesus. What do we know about Jesus based on this story? And finally, we want to see its application to us. What does this mean for us today as we live in this world? So let's start with that real need first off. Now, the thing is, you will have known this story if you grew up in church. From the time you are small in Sunday school, you would have heard the story of Jesus calming the storm. Just like they're learning over today. It's a great story. But because we know the story, I think we miss some of the drama that actually is going on here. We go right to the miracle part. But if you think about Luke, as he's going around and he's gathering these stories, you can picture him sitting around a dinner table with maybe James or John or Peter, and they pull this story out and they say, we've got a story for you. Like, imagine with me, as I kind of retell it from the point of one of the disciples, they would have said something like this. As fishermen, we knew the sea. We were on it all the time. Sure, it was unsafe, but we we knew it. But as we got out in that sea, we were caught completely off guard. The wind started picking up a little bit and the waves got a bit more choppy and the boat started to shake. We thought it's going to be okay. But as the sun was blotted out, as the clouds begin to gather, we knew we were in for a real storm. And as that boat began to shake and the rain came down and the wind picked up, we realized what a vulnerable situation we were in. Waves started crashing over our boat. We started taking on water. Those of us who knew how to take care of a boat were working feverishly to keep us afloat. While the other disciples sat, huddled together, drenched to the bone, scared for their lives. And amidst all of this is Jesus. Jesus. Sleeping. I remember waking Jesus up. I remember shouting because of fear and so I could be heard over the waves. I shouted, Master, Master, we are going to drown. On that lake that day, there was a real need. It was a need that came from a total loss of control they believed they were going to die. You can see the terror in the situation as they woke up Jesus. There was no asking for help. There was no time. This was the end. This is it. We are going to drown on this lake today. And Jesus wakes up from a nap and he opens his eyes and what does he see? He sees the apex of the storm happening around him. He sees his disciples full of fear and need. He knows that they are preparing to die. But he also knows that the only way that they are going to get out of this situation is through a miracle. So we have the opportunity in this place of real need to see the second point, And that is Jesus' real authority. Now, if you would have been Luke at this time, sitting around the table, not knowing the end of this story, you would have been on pins and needles. What happens next? We know you're alive. You're telling us the story. What happens? What does Jesus do? Well, what he did was completely unexpected and unprecedented. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, all he had done, every single miracle, was on a living thing, nothing to do with nature. So when he stood up out of that nap and he steadied himself on that boat and he shouted in to the rain and the wind, Stop! Stop! And it did. And all the madness and chaos of that storm diminishes and the sea is like glass. And he turns to his disciples And he says, where is your faith? In this story, a transition is taking place here. The story is no longer about the wind and the waves. The tale is about him who controls the wind and the waves. And this miracle does two things for Luke readers. It reveals the authority of Jesus, and it grows faith in the disciples. So let's look at how it reveals his authority, firstly. Now, when we talk about authority, what we're talking about is Jesus' rule and power over all things. That's what authority means. In Colossians 1, 15-18, it's the best place as far as a description, I think, of the authority of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, this is what the verse says. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the wonderful, true authority of Jesus. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So you see, on that boat, there was a God gap. There was who Jesus really was, and there was who the disciples thought He was. And they didn't match up. They loved Jesus, but they didn't see Him as creator of the world. They saw him as a moral teacher. They saw him as a doer of miracles. But they didn't know who he really was. There was that gap. And as he takes authority over nature and says stop, he reveals that he is in charge. And he reveals his identity, his divinity. They know more about who he is now. So you see, this miracle does more than just save lives. That's just the first thing it does. It shows them the source of life. What they did is they started this journey with a great teacher in the boat as they pushed out into the lake. But on that lake, in the midst of that storm, they were forced to think bigger thoughts of Jesus. They realized that how they had been thinking about Jesus was just too small because He reveals His authority. So that's the first thing He does. The second thing He does is grow their faith. Now... If it was me and I had calmed the storm, I would turn around. This is what would happen if I did it. Be Stop. Everything calms. That was awesome. (laughs) That was truly awesome. I would have been the first American ever to use the word awesome properly. That was truly awesome. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He looks at his disciples, and he challenges them. He says, where is your faith? The reason he does that is because there is this God gap there. They didn't know who he really was, who who Jesus really was. Therefore, they couldn't have faith that would match who he really was. They had small faith. They didn't believe he was the creator, so how could they have faith that he would be the one to calm the storm? There was a gap there. But in this belief, of, in, as his authority grows, so their faith grows. As he reveals their authority, it's tied, and their faith will grow as well. Faith can only be as big as in what Jesus can do. Your faith is only as big as your belief in what Jesus can do. The authority of Jesus and faith are completely linked together. If Jesus has all the power to rule and reign, faith and natural outworking, because he can accomplish anything. If Jesus has all the power to rule and reign, faith is the natural outworking, because he can accomplish anything. So we have seen firstly here, that the disciples are in a real place of need. And secondly, that Jesus answers their need in the revelation of himself... And their faith naturally grows So let's look at this third point now And that's the real identity of Jesus So as we go back to that boat now In the middle of the lake The disciples are soaking wet Shivering In the middle of a calm lake And Jesus sits down after he challenges them To say that their minds were blown Would be an understatement they sum it all best as they look at Jesus and they say, Who is that? Who is this? We thought we knew Jesus. But then he just put nature in a time out. Who is this? This simple question of who is this is evidence of the internal shift that is happening inside of them. They had created a box for Jesus. Jesus. He fit in with him as the one they were following. This is who Jesus is. But as he takes authority over nature, who he is grows. As they begin to trust in who he is and grow in faith, the box falls apart. They have to completely rethink who Jesus is. What Jesus does must match up with who he is. Jesus can't do these things and just be a moral teacher. You can't stop a storm with a sleight of hand. His actions on that lake forced the disciples to broaden their thinking on him. So that question, fear and amazement, who is this? Is the biggest evidence that the God gap between who they thought Jesus was and who he really was had begun to become significantly smaller. Because they started in that lake in a place of real need. Because they had a real problem. And they didn't understand that he who created the world and for whom the world existed was in their boats. So there's this gap. But as he reveals his authority, they grow in faith and they see his true identity as God in flesh. And when they see this, they can engage their hearts in real worship and service. So what about us? I believe that this story is as big a deal today as it was then. I believe it matters as much for us today as it does to the disciples and for Luke's readers. But I think today there is a very real God gap between who God really is and who we think he is. For most of the Western world, we are working hard to keep our lives afloat, believing that we are in control. But when life kicks up a storm, we feel that loss of control. We are not in charge. We are not as in charge as we thought we were. And here in our place of need, whatever it may be, we need a Savior. And we don't know who to turn to We don't know to turn to Jesus because our thoughts of Him are just too small. We've been relying on our own power for so long that we have minimized the power of Jesus. Over my 15 years of ministry, I have seen this as the main reason that people leave faith behind. It's because they are serving not the real Jesus, but a man-made image of Jesus. And that image breaks down in a place of need and leads to anger and boredom. I just don't want to come to church anymore. It's just too boring. If Jesus isn't God, why would you want to? It would just be boring. It would just be lip service. When something happens that is devastating to you and your family, I don't make light of this. If He's not God and really in charge, then what He has done doesn't match up with your experience and He doesn't seem good anymore. So you leave. But equally I've seen that when there is a real belief in who Jesus is, the fruit of it is the great commandments. It is a love for Jesus with all your heart and with all your soul, with everything within you. And it is a love that flows over onto loving others. When you see Jesus as authority, even in the midst of a difficult time, you say, who are you? My situation is difficult. God, who are you? Help me here. Help me to worship and love you. Help me to be with you. I desperately need you. So if we have wrong thinking and right thinking, how do we close this gap? How do we come together? I've got four ideas. And these are not rocket science You're not going to be wild when I tell you what these four things are. You'll have heard them normally on Sundays and that's okay. There's a reason you'll have heard them before. They're kind of like the pillars of growth in a Christian life, okay? So the first thing, if you want to close that gap, is this. You have to recognize that you have need. You are not God. You don't know everything and you are not perfect. Now, Somewhere in my 20s, I began to realize that I was a bit annoying to my friends. Because when I did something wrong, I'd get a bit angry with them or myself because I felt that I had to be a bit perfect. One of the best realizations for me was to realize I'm not perfect. Actually, I'll continue to make mistakes. But I can ask for forgiveness because I don't need to be perfect because I rely on the perfection of Jesus. You are not perfect. We all need help and forgiveness. The second thing is this. If if first we are in need, the second thing is this. Is that regardless of where you are on that journey of faith right now, Jesus is your creator. And as your creator, he cares about your development. He deeply loves you. No matter what happens, whether good or bad or insignificant, Jesus' love for you is never changing. It is consistent. Always, in the storms of life and on the calm sea Jesus is deeply in love with you So the first two things are beliefs We believe that we actually have need And we believe that God is deeply in love with us The first two things to close that God gap are beliefs The second two are actions I would challenge you, if you want to close that gap To begin praying some dangerous prayers I know, a bit of danger in Surrey It's a good thing, I think, yeah So what is a dangerous prayer? It's a prayer that establishes God's authority in your life. It's a prayer that makes God number one. Here's an example of a real dangerous prayer. God, I give you permission to do whatever you want with my life. Reveal your authority and help me grow in faith. I know. That's not one you hear all the time. It's a bit of a scary one. God, I give it all to you. But it's good because he'll take you up on it and God will become more than just a Sunday morning thing. It become real in every area of your life and that is good. And the last thing, and this is the fourth thing, is get into the Bible. I can't tell you how many times I have found myself veering over into wrong thinking about God and just opening up the Bible and reading just swatches of the of the Bible, it's like cold water onto a sleeping man. It wakes you up. This is what it's about. I remember now these stories. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. The Bible is the main way that God loves to reveal his authority. So these are the four things to jumpstart that closing of the gap. You are in need. God loves you. Pray a couple of dangerous prayers and read the Bible. And as, this, as you do this, you will be like those disciples in that boat. As you say, who is this? I thought I knew you, Jesus. But you have just blown my mind. You are God. I'm your servant. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth. We thank you that you walked in authority here, that you showed yourself to be God. Jesus, I want to ask that you would do more than just have this be a Bible story, but that you would reveal your authority to us today that you would have us walk in your authority, belief that you are all-powerful, that you are the creator and for whom the creation is held together. Our lives are yours. Today, our lives are yours. If you feel that gap as I'm praying, just keep your eyes closed. If you want to say maybe a little dangerous prayer right now, We're just going to have just a second of quiet. If you feel that gap and you're saying, I want to know Jesus more, just take a moment and say that prayer.